That's me. Well, I am uh, glad to be back and to see you who are here. It's been a while since I've been in the church due to the quarantine. So um, thank you. Um, and also those of you who are online, um, glad to um, be able to bring the message to you this morning. Uh, I know that through this whole COVID time, it's been difficult for uh, people who are working at home, especially young families with you know, parents with young kids, and how do you do this? How do you make space to get work done, care for kids, do the things you need to do at home? And, and there's been advice that's been given, how do you create that kind of space when you do work from home? And they've given ideas like you should plan, since you can't plan for much in the future, plan for 24 hours ahead. That's about the most you can do. Um, they talk about creating um, blue zones, I don't know how those work, but like in the kitchen, this is where I work, and this is in this area over here I work, and the kids, you work over here, which I don't know if that works for little kids. Um, and then there's this idea of uh, working in shifts. They've been telling parents that's one way to do it, is if you take so many hours and then you watch the kids and things like that. One of the creative ones is they talk about having an imaginary coworker to blame. And, and I think that's not a bad idea. Like, man, Phil left the dishes in the sink again. They're dirty there. And, or, 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 you know, it's maybe like Mary, I can't believe it. She left, um, there's no paper in the printer for the third time in a row. Whatever it is. But, um, those are ways they talk about how do you make space to try and get work done. And we're entering into a series that talks about creating space for God. How do you create space for God? And the reason I um, have titled this last number of chapters in Exodus like this is because as you get to the end of Exodus chapter 23 and begin 24 through about verse chapter 31, it's all kinds of instructions for the ark and the tabernacle and, and priestly vestments, and, and they give all kinds of instructions for how you will put, create a space where God will dwell in the midst of his people. So that when they get into the land, he'll be living in the heart of the land and in the midst of them. And so they are, Moses is getting that information. He's being told what to do. And it's interesting, as you get then to later in chapter 36 to about 39, they give those same instructions again, but this time, we're, it's really a recounting of what's been done. So you have this kind of mirror uh, ideas of creating space. And, and so we're not going to cover those areas within uh, this series, but we will do this. Uh, beginning tomorrow, Monday through Friday, and then the next week, Monday through Friday, we have staff and lay people who have um, written devotionals on those chapters. So there is, if you go through the website, there'll be different ways. It may come out through an e-blast um, you can pick that up and then you can kind of go through the rest of Exodus in those chapters and learn a little bit about that. So we're going to jump from where we were at on Exodus 23 all the way up to Exodus 32 and we're going to miss those chapters and we're going to talk specifically today about giving room for God to work in your life. How do you give room for God to work? What gets in the way of God's work in your life? And as we get into this passage, one of the very first things you'll see in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, is this idea of, of impatience. The, the point here, if you want to give God space to work in your life, you need to trust in those times of delay. So in delay, instead of wanting to move ahead and move beyond or move in your own um, wisdom, strength, or way, what he calls you to do is to wait Exodus 32, 1 says, When the people saw that Moses 
was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So back at Exodus chapter 24, around verse 18, it states that Moses went up into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So he'd been away a long time. And I can imagine after the first 20 days or so, they start talking with one another. And there's a group. Usually it's it's a rabble that, that gets the rest of the group going. And, the, and this group began, I'm sure, saying things like, man, it's been 20 days. we got to get going. I'm tired of waiting. I'm sick of sand. I'm done with living in suitcases. I am through pitching a tent and taking it down and pitching a tent. I'm ready to settle down and to buy property and build a home and start a career. You ever had those kind of thoughts? I'm ready to move. And impatience is often the the cause of, of all kinds of trouble. We get ahead of God. See, when you rush ahead of God and act without him, you will really create more problems. And, and that's something that you see again and again through scripture. It begins right in the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. Let's take a bite and become like God so we can know good and evil ahead of when they were ready and prepared to know that. Or Abraham and the promise, and go ahead, take my maidservant and, and have a child by her. And, and you have to ask yourself, how did those things work out? And so now they're standing here Moses, this guy, this fellow, where is he? Let's go ahead and let's just create some new gods that will go ahead of us. There's plenty of gods in, 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 a, in the world they live in, this polytheistic world. So the first thing is to trust God in the delay. Make room for God in your life and you do it by allowing your trust to wait. No matter how much you want to move forward. You have to ask yourself, why do you think Moses was there for 40 days and 40 nights? What was he doing? What's the purpose of the delay? And often we don't have an idea. So here are the people there. They're waiting and and they're getting tired of waiting. And they're not really exactly sure what's going on. But what's going on is so important. It's not just important for those people. It's important for their children and their children's children. And it's important even to us in generations to come. Because God was in those 40 days taking and revealing exactly what it needed to look like. The space needed to look like for him to dwell among them. And he gave them all kinds of ideas and he said, make it with gold and fine cloth and all these different things. And he's giving all these instructions to Moses. They don't know that, but they do know he's up in the mountain. And they just can't wait. I, I, I think that's so true for us. I, I've shared this illustration before, but it's just one that hit me so hard when I was a young parent. My, my daughter, when she would wake up at night and we were bottle feeding her, I would take her down and she'd be crying. And, and you know, the longer it took to get, and I'm stirring the formula and all this stuff and I'm getting it ready and I'm putting it in the microwave and I'm, and she's crying and getting louder and louder. And, and I'm watching this in the microwave and I'm, I just want to take her and go, look! What you desire is, it's happening, it's coming. And I I think sometimes God goes in our situation where God is at work doing things and what our hearts desire, he's goes, I'm in the process of getting it ready. The delay is for a purpose, so trust. Allow me to work, give me space, give me room. 
You see, what was happening with Moses, he was getting not only the plans for the tabernacle, the tabernacle would lead to the temple. The temple would be in the city of David, in the heart of, of their country. And then there would be a person who would come, his name would be Jesus. He'd be this walking, breathing life of God, this living temple who would go all throughout Israel. And he would then give his life, on, and, and on the cross he would be resurrected. And then at a certain point, the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit would come and make you and me living, walking, breathing temples that go everywhere. The church has not been closed down. The church is alive in neighborhoods and in homes because you have the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. And that was what the delay was about. Now, I want to share with you another thing. In the times of delay, one of the things that's important to do if you want to give God room to work is to examine your heart. Because when you start being in that position where you want to move ahead of God, you need to kind of say, okay, what's going on in my heart? And there's three things that come out in this passage that, that, that would be important to examine. And the first is, um, is you look at Aaron as this need for approval. And, and in times of delay, sometimes we move because others push us, peer pressure, other things around us, and it, it causes us to want to, to do something when we know we shouldn't. We, we compromise. It says in verse 1, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods. This fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And, and the words gathered around, are, they seem kind of harmless, but they're very, they're very antagonistic. That's the meaning. If you look at another passage of scripture in Numbers, chapter 16, verse 3, it says they gathered around, same expression, as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. And so that's what's going on here. And they, they use three in, in, um, what I call interesting tactics, which you'll find often when people are trying to get you to do something and, and are causing you to conform. And, and you're seeking to say, do I want God's approval in this? Am I going to stand in this? Or am I going to um, cave to what they want me to do? Three little things that happen here. They discredit Moses' leadership. That's the words, this fellow. It's a very common tactic to disparage leaders, and as you begin to talk them down with other people, they begin to start to doubt. And then, and then they downplay God's intervention. Listen to this. As this fellow Moses, Moses who brought us out of Egypt, they completely ignore God's intervention. Well, where's God in this? And then they doubt Moses' whereabouts, which is kind of a half lie. They don't know what's happened to him, but they do know what he's doing, and they do know that he's meeting with God. And these three tactics are a great recipe for denying truth and then seeking approval and moving into places where you're moving ahead. And instead of trusting in the delay, you're moving forward. So you need to say, what is, what's going on right now? And if you look at Aaron, then what he does in chapter 32, verses 2 through 6, and I won't read through all this, he says, okay, he caves in, take off the gold earrings and that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, etc. And he takes the whole thing and he says he took them and, and he, he handed them and made them into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf and fashioned it. And then Aaron built this altar and he said, let's go party and, 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 and soon we'll go in with, with this as your gods. He even caused this calf, he calls him Yahweh, the name that was given to the God who Moses was meeting with. And so, approval. Think for a second. In your own life right now. Is there pressure that's coming from someone, from someone else, from even your own thoughts that are causing you to say, I, I'm going to fold in this. 
There's another question you need to ask. Is, is it's what I call outright rebellion against God's word. It's kind of like, I'm going to do this. I don't care. It's a defiance and it's a hand up high that says, I'm, it's my way, in my time, in my wisdom. There is a group of people, that's what they said. And I just want to encourage you, if you are in that place and you know you are doing that which is displeasing to God, we won't be able to cover this, but it's in this passage, chapter 32. After Moses prays and he asks for their forgiveness, God still says that there will be consequences. We like to think that God, when he says he forgives us, he takes away all the consequences. He still will bear sometimes consequences of choices you've made. And so in the time of delay, again, trust God. And then the, the, the third one I want you to look at is, are you unwilling to be honest and own up with what's going on in your situation. And this is one of my favorite parts of this passage of Scripture. You drop down to chapter of 32 to verses 21 through 24, where Moses comes back now. He he comes and he sees Aaron. He sees the calf. He sees the people partying and dancing. And he confronts Aaron for his part in the people's rebellion. He says, you conformed. You you did something here. And so in, in verse 21, he says, he said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? And Aaron, if he could only own up and honestly admit his failure and sin, but here he doesn't. He he does what we all try and tend to do, and that's to blame someone else or to blame the situation. He says he, he blames the people first. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. And then, then he now goes on, and he doesn't just blame those people, because I'm sure Aaron was, I mean, Moses is looking like, come on, you've you got to be a better leader than that. And then he, he goes on, and he blames Moses. He says, they said to me, make us gods um, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out, we don't know what's happened to him. So, you know, Moses, if you wouldn't have taken so much time. And he looks around to someone else to blame. And then the last thing I love is he blames the fire, the furnace, for delivering a calf-like object. Um, if there was anything that was going to be on um, what I would call the funniest home videos in heaven someday, this is one of them. Listen to what he says. So I told them, whoever has gold, jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. All of a sudden, just there's a calf, and it's 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 one of the most ludicrous excuses. And that's what we do. And Moses is just saying, "Would you just own up?" Because if you can't own up and and actually take responsibility for what's going on, you won't be able to move on. You'll constantly be in a defensive, um, blaming situation, and never allow God to get to the root of what's going on. And so you have to ask yourself, why did you not wait? Why did you not, why did you compromise? Why did you need others' approval more than God's? Because we're just so quick to blame. Last week in my failure, I mentioned to some of you as you listened to the message about doing this podcast. I'd podcast the whole hour conversation. I was so excited. It went really well. And I hung up and looked at the computer and realized I hadn't hit the record button and I was devastated, and I, I was just crying out, no, no, no. And then I said, who? I said, why, God? Why? Why why did you allow this? <laughs> it was like the Holy Spirit. He didn't condemn me or anything. He just kind of said, you know what? Um, own up. 
And, and here's what I want you to do is recognize next time make a checklist. That was, that was kind of one, you know, just make a checklist. And it wasn't like he was coming, down, but if I kept the blame, I mean, I wanted to call the guy and say, you know what, we had a computer, you know, a com- this error. You just need to say, God, I just need to tell you. Um, out came a golden calf. No, out came of, out of me something that sometimes it's just human failure. Sometimes it's just sin. And you need to own up. So those are the things that I would say in the time of delay. Here's what I really want to take a few moments to really talk about. Because I think this is one of the heart of, the, uh, of, of this passage. It's one of the things I think we need more to hear more than anything. And that is this idea that in this delay, Pray. When you are in a time of delay, for whatever reason, start seeking God. In fact, here's how I would say it. Pray like you, your prayer really makes a difference. When I said in that time of delay, you are to trust and examine your hearts, one of the things that's really important, because if you're like uh, me in this, how many of you want COVID to be gone like that? I mean, I would love for it to be gone tomorrow. But I have no idea what God is doing in this. We've been praying for a long time, God, we would like not just a pause, we'd like a really a hard reset, right? And if you look at your phones and you take your phones or your computers and, and, and when you turn them off, it just takes time for them to come back on. I, I'm not real patient in that, so I'm always kind of like, I just would love for that to come faster. And if you think about it, the more messed up your internal system is, your phone or your computer, the longer it takes. It just keeps whirling, And in some ways, I feel like with this COVID thing right now, it's just kind of whirling. And I'm going, God, what's the delay? What's the delay? And I think God is saying, there is something I'm trying to teach the church in this delay. And that is I'm trying to teach the church to pray. If there's one thing you can do that we can do that can really make a difference in the world and in the lives of others, we can pray. Nothing can take that away from us. It is one of the great gifts that God has given to us. And so I believe what is this passage of scripture saying, if we just dig into this for a moment, pray like your prayer really makes a difference. I know you've been taught, just like I have been taught, that we're told that our prayers are important, that prayers do change things. But if you're honest, I think a lot of times you you have this nagging thought, you know, really, isn't God just going to do what he wants to do anyway? Isn't prayer just about aligning my heart? So if I get my heart in line, it will be in line with what God wants to have happen. That is part of prayer. But in this situation, that's not what's going on. Moses isn't coming to God in this conversation he has with him and and trying to align his heart with God. And just the opposite. He's trying to get God to align with something that's in his heart that God has given him responsibility for. So so when you look at this passage, look at verses 7 through 14. They're difficult to understand. Commentators have all kinds of different views. I'm going to give to you what I think some commentators um, will share with you that I think um, really adheres well to what this passage intends. <clears throat> There's this exchange between God and Moses. God tells Moses what he's going to do, and Moses pleads with God. Moses then begins to intercede. That's what you find in these verses. And he does so on behalf of the people. And we read this interesting thing. It says God relents or God changes his mind. You go, is that really true? Is that written in scripture? God changes his mind? Are we really supposed to pray? Are you really supposed to pray like your prayer makes a difference? So in verse 7 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down because... 
Listen, I love what God, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. It's almost kind of funny because that's what the other people are saying. Now God's saying this. God's about to disown his people and he says, go down because of these people you brought up. Now I want to share with you a couple of things. One is, this is not some idle threat. God is not like a parent who throws out some punishment that he's not going to, they're not going to follow up on. God, when he throws out something, he means it. He's not kidding. In fact, Psalm 106, verse 23 says, God was so fed up with the people, he was ready to destroy them. He was intent on doing this. And, and, and then the second thing I want you to notice about God, he's not like a parent who likes to distance himself from their kids. You know that kind of thing where you do kind of like, did you hear the, did you get what the principal said about what your son was doing? Right? You know that kind of thing. Did you hear what your kid was doing? God's not doing that. What God is doing is acknowledging that the saving of the Hebrew people from their slavery was a joint venture. He's telling Moses, you're a part of this. And, and I think it's interesting that he does it because God joined with Moses in this venture and he'd given Moses both authority. He's given him the staff. That's what the staff was. The staff was authority and responsibility over this initiative of setting the people free. And I want you to note that Jesus, if you think about it, before he sends to heaven, he says something very similar to the disciples who are representing the church. He says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go in my name, in my authority, with my responsibility as a church, and I expect you to go into the world to bring heaven here down to earth. I expect you to live in such a way that when they talk about justice, the church is at the forefront of what that means and what that looks like. When, the, when they talk about honesty, the church is living honestly. When they talk about things like being good and kind, the church is at the forefront. They're, they're taking from the resources of heaven, and they're giving this unconditional kind of love that only can come from God. And they're, they're beginning through with the authority and responsibility to bring God's rule into this place. And it changes things. And Jesus calls him into a joint venture. He says, your mission, my mission is your mission. And in this joint venture, if you go back to the text here in verses 8 and 9, um, God says, basically, I'm through with them. They're corrupt. And then in verses 8 and 9, God um, elaborates on how corrupt they are. Listen to what he has to say. He says, they've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. So, you know, they're not caving the first and second commandment. They've made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it. They've sacrificed to it and have said... These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And I have seen these people. I've lived with them. I've walked with them. I've heard them complain every step of the way, the Lord says to Moses. I added that little part there. And they're a stiff-necked people. And so in verse 10, God says, now leave me alone. That in my anger I may turn against them, and then I may destroy them. And then he, he, he shares this with them. And then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. I'll make you, Moses, and all your generations to follow. You'll be the great nation. God's kind of like what I'd call an owner-CEO who's saying, I'm through, I've invested enough, I want you to leave me alone because I am now going to dissolve this initiative completely, but I'm going to still work with you. You've been a really good vice president of strategic development. I'm going to work with you on this. And you have to ask yourself, why in the world would God even enter into conversation with them? I mean, if God intended to do it, he's God. He has the right to do it. He could, he could wipe them off the face of the earth if he wants, and then come to Moses afterwards and say, here's now what the plan is. 
What difference, think about this, what difference would it make if Moses knew the plan or not? It would make all the difference in the world. It's like God, the owner, CEO, is conferring with his executive vice president and he's saying to him in conversation what he plans to do. And why does God do this? Because God had given Moses authority over the people of Israel. He could rightfully say, your people. As rightfully he could say, my people. They were in this together. And I think about this, if you just think about work relationships, um, I have to say that as a senior pastor, I could make a decision and I could do whatever I want. But when it comes to making decisions, I will confer often with the people who have the responsibility and authority in it. And I will say, here's what I'm thinking, here's my plans, so that we can be in conversation, so that person can begin to say, well, here's how I see things. So that together, that person is involved in creating what needs to be created there. And I think it's interesting that God, in this situation, he's given the people of Israel to Moses. They're his area of influence. And even though God, God wants to dissolve this initiative, God confers with Moses because he had given Moses authority and responsibility. And it's kind of like he's saying, before I do this, here's my plan. What do you think, Moses? And Moses stops and intercedes and, and shares with God. What he thinks. We have the same authority in prayer with God. Jesus told us this. I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything and ask for it, it'll be done in my, in, in, um, for you by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18. Mark 11. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John 15, 7, Jesus declares, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, so you're doing my will, you're doing kind of like Moses is doing, whatever you wish, it will be given you. It's the way Jesus responded to a Roman centurion. He was astonished. This guy comes up to him and he says, hey, look, at I understand authority, my child's ill, and I understand what it means that you could just give the word, because I understand authority, and I can do that with my troops, and when they hear the word, they just do it. And when you say the word, it'll be done. I trust that. And Jesus turns around and he says, I cannot believe this. I tell you the truth. This is something you can bank on. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And what was the centurion's secret? It's what Moses knew. It's what we should know. We have authority. As believers, we've been given authority. As a church, we've been given authority. Our prayers make a difference. Don't let anyone ever think, those haunting thoughts that say they don't, they make a difference. Parents, you have been given authority over your family, over your children for a period of time. Your prayers make a difference. Teachers, You have been given authority over a classroom. Your prayers make a difference. Business leaders who are over a business, your prayers make a difference. Those of you who are leaders over ministries or or your facilitators of small groups, your prayer makes a difference. And do you pray like your prayer makes a difference? Now, I want you to know there's three things that you can find in Moses' intercession that I think are to be found when we intercede in these situations with authority. 
And the first thing you look at in, in verses 11 through 13, these three requests, he asked God to remember his people. That's the first thing he says. He says in, in verse 11, but Moses sought favor of the Lord, his, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger turn against your people whom you brought out? So he turns it back, whom you brought out of each. So we're in this together with great power and a mighty hand. Basically, God, don't forget your people. You paid a high price for Israel's redemption. You displayed great power with a mighty hand. In the same way, when we take authority and think about the world around us and people around us and we think about the areas we've been given influence, God has paid a high price for the world's redemption. Don't ever forget that. For God so loved the world, he gave who? His son. His one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We are called, I think in this COVID time, what the church should be doing, what you should be doing, what we should be doing is praying, praying, and praying for an awakening and a revival. And I think God may be going, guess what? Like my daughter, when I was holding her, it's, it's being worked out. Just trust the delay. And in the delay, pray like your prayers really make a difference. He asked him to remember his purpose. He says here, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that, that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. Change your mind. Do not bring disaster on your people. Your purpose was to point all people to you, right? And God, if you abandon them now, the Egyptians will say, look, Yahweh's intent all along was to destroy them like he destroyed us. And I think he's saying, God, your name and your glory is on the line here. You will not be seen as the God of unconditional love that has called the people and stays with the people and works with the people unless you continue to do this. And then he says, remember your promise, God. He asked him to remember his promise. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to whom you swore by your own self. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Simply remind God what he said and ask him to keep his word. Some of you know that God spoke to you. And some of you know that God has said this and has called you to something and, and you are in that place in delay and you're wondering, you feel like where is God, where is Moses, where is what's going on, you want to act in your own way, your own wisdom, you, you, you are, you're in this place and I just encourage you to remember what God has said to you and hold on to that. And then you listen to these verses in, in this verse in chapter 32 verse 14. Then the Lord relented. Isn't that interesting words? It's given theologians all kinds of problems. And I honestly don't think it needs to. I think God says when I give you authority and responsibility, I'm going to confer with you and we're going to work together and I will listen. And he relented. And did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God changed his mind. Moses' intercession touched the heart of God. And once again, God forgave and he, he worked through these people. In a book called, by Andrew Murray, who um, writes The Believer's School of Prayer, he tells a story about a British pastor in the 19th century. His name is George Muir. Some of you may have heard him, a great man of faith and prayer. 
He had felt God's call in his heart as a young man to care for these multitude of orphans that were throughout London because of the industry and all the things that were happening and the deaths. And he felt that he had heard his, that, that God had heard that prayer and that, that, that God had given him these orphans as an area of influence. And so he began to act on that and he decided he was going to start an orphanage and he did start an orphanage and he built this orphanage and God blessed it with, with these homeless children. And at one point, um, Looking at the tremendous need, he had this orphanage of 300 people. He wanted to triple its size to over a thousand. And he, he started to share with people. He felt like God was calling him to do this. And he was living, um, you know, hand to mouth. He was, it was barely getting by. And people, um, all of them, you know, he had the pressure saying, you know, listen, I don't, th- this is crazy for you to think of doing this. The cost to feed them and to care for them, it's just exorbitant. And then to have a staff around that to help and, and then to build a facility large, it's just, you can't, don't expect this. And so at one point as he was praying through this and wrestling in prayer and interceding with God and conversing with God, he began to write in his journal afterwards. And here's what he wrote. The Lord's honor is the principal point with me in this whole matter. And just because this is the case, if he would be more glorified by not going forward in this business, I should by his grace be perfectly content to give up all thought about another orphan house. So God, not my will, but your will. I think that's how Moses approached this whole thing as well. My honest purpose, though, is to glorify God. Therefore, I expect to be guided aright, that God may be looked at and magnified and admired and trusted and relied on at all times is my aim in this service. And so particularly in this intended enlargement of the orphanage, that's my heart. And that's how I'm going to pray. And that's what God calls us to pray. I believe he calls us in this time what I call kind of a COVID delay, I think he's calling the church to pray. And I think he's saying, I am at work. You don't see it, but I'm doing something. And your church, you've been praying for not just a pause, but for a reset. Honestly, folks, some of the stuff that's happening with regard to justice matters, I believe have been on God's heart. I don't care where you fall on what side of the fence. I believe that this is part of what God is doing right now. We have to be careful in, in which, in not going in one direction or the other, but to walk the road with God. I believe God is at work. I believe God is doing things. I believe He's using this COVID in order to show our own inabilities, our own weaknesses. He's showing the disastrous divide that we have, and only God can unify. And he's called the church, not just our church, but the church, the church to pray. And the church is responding. We're seeing people do that. I want to share with you um, a video from one of our Twin City prayer leaders. Um, our pastor, Andrew, she's going to come up, who is over both um, pastor of prayer and worship programming, is also on this Twin Cities prayer leadership group. And they have been um, sharing um, how to pray and ways to pray. And, and they've been bringing the Twin Cities together with a number of different ministries as they're praying. And I, I love what she has to say. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment and to, to listen to this. I met recently with a group of church prayer leaders to pray for our city. We're from churches all over the Twin Cities metro area, and we knew we needed to gather to pray with insight about our city, and especially Minneapolis. 
After praying for about an hour, we asked God if there was somewhere else he would like us to go as prayer leaders. I just assumed we would end up in South Minneapolis to pray somewhere near the site of where the tragic death of George Floyd occurred and then the ensuing devastation. Uh, But God surprised us with an entirely different direction. He directed us to drive and pray over the 35W Bridge. Now, this is the bridge and the exact spot where a nearly disastrous incident occurred with a semi-truck. You may have seen the images on the news of a semi plowing through the middle of a peaceful protest on the freeway. And miraculously, no one was injured. Even our city's officials declared it to be miraculous. So, sensing this direction from the Lord, we piled into a car and we merged into the rush hour traffic and construction. We headed toward downtown Minneapolis and the bridge. Now, if you don't know, the 35W Bridge pretty much goes right between Minneapolis and St. Paul, and then it crosses over the Mississippi River. It is the main freeway through the heart of the Twin Cities. As we crossed over the bridge, we began praying something that I wasn't expecting. In that moment, I remembered the collapse of the 35W Bridge 13 years ago. Perhaps you recall that day. I remember being glued to the television at that time. All our cell coverage uh, went down for our cell phones. Uh, People were unable to communicate with each other. It was really a frightening time. And I recall how the nation watched the coverage of the bridge collapse. It was so tragic and many people died. It really, it upset our entire city. And the cause of the collapse was determined to be inadequate load capacity due to a design error. There had been warnings of the bridge's deficiency as early as 1990, and they tried to do some patchwork to fix it, but obviously that didn't work. But something else interesting happened in the 35W collapse. It caused an examination of all the bridges within the infrastructure of our nation. Suddenly, bridges all over our country were carefully evaluated for design flaws. And ultimately, what happened? The bridge was rebuilt stronger with a deeper foundation and a greater load-bearing capacity. And other bridges around the country were also reinforced. So what does this have to do with how we prayed? Well, we had another catastrophic collapse in our city, and all the nation and the world was watching. It has caused an examination of hearts and flaws that need to be corrected and shored up. It has shown us the need for a deeper and stronger foundation in the truths of God's Word to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And it has caused other cities to do the same. So how do we pray going forward? Just as the world has watched our collapse, let's pray that the world now watches the rebuilding of a godly, just, and honoring foundation.